today on Ag News Daily. Farrowing every crate has its own uh, gestal. And we, it's an on-demand system. So the producers and the nutritionists will enter a feed curve in the machine. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. Glad to still be co-hosting the podcast after three days of being sans electricity. I, I believe without electricity, Delaney. What's the story on uh, your part of the state? What's power doing? Uh, no power still for me. I'm thinking maybe by this weekend, but um, I'm not too hopeful. Yeah, I will say this. So I traveled over to uh, Illinois yesterday to record uh, This Week in Agribusiness. And on my way, I, was, I took 80 over. When I was coming through Iowa, I passed two huge convoys of bucket trucks um, all headed towards central or eastern Iowa. Uh, I bet in the first convoy there was 50 or 60 bucket trucks and the second one there was probably 20. I mean it was oh, enough good. that it was yeah I was like they started driving by. I was like oh look at that some bucket trucks and then oh my god there's still bucket trucks oh my god look at all of these bucket trucks heading over there you know big uh, big salute to the linemen and women out there working to get power restored to a lot of folks in Iowa for sure. And I've heard uh, parts of Illinois, same story without power, at least through this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. We've been talking about this storm a lot on the podcast so far this week. I shared yesterday that I saw Governor Reynolds issued a statement saying that she thought Iowa suffered about 10 million acres of damage. Well, we saw Grow Intelligence their vice president of agribusiness released a statement that said they are estimating based off of satellite technology and otherwise that we saw about 7.7 million acres of corn and nearly six, six million acres of soybeans in Iowa were in the path of that storm. So that would put our total at about 13 million acres damaged here just in the state of Iowa alone. Yeah. And, you know, agronomists definitely tune in, but from my vantage point traveling again predominantly in the central and eastern part of Iowa the soybeans didn't appear to suffer too much as far as damage is concerned um, at least when the storm came through Iowa didn't seem to come with much hail and uh, yeah but boy cornfields do look rough along I-80. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do. Well we've also got Ashton Carr on the podcast with us. Ashton how are things down in Texas? They're doing pretty good down here. I just got back into Lubbock earlier today. And while I was driving in, I saw some green in the cotton fields, but also a little bit of damage to our cotton crop down here. It did hail around the Lubbock area a little bit last week. Definitely nothing in comparison to what you guys saw up north, but a little bit of damage out here. So there's no telling what our corn or not our corn crop, but what our cotton crop is going to look like down here as well. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it, everything sucks this year. 2020, I think, can just go away. Yeah, I'm ready for uh, us to put a bow on the end of 2020, that's for sure. Indeed. But Delaney, what news headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, of course, we had the WASDE report out yesterday talking about potentially seeing a record national trendline yield. But we also saw the FSA release their farm production participation data and confirmed that we saw about 5 million acres of prevent plant this year. 
which accounts for most of those acres lost in the June planting report. So they said that uh, total planted acres in the FSA program were about 81.1 million acres for corn and about 75.9 million acres for soybeans. So both were lower than expected, but they that is what they are showing at this time. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll have to see what actually comes out of these fields once combines start to roll. Yes, we will. It's going to be a messy, messy harvest for some farmers. I, I mean, for a lot of farmers across a lot of the Corn Belt, they are going to be running two or three mile an hour, one mm. direction to get this corn out. Yep. Oof, it's going to be a tough harvest season for a lot of folks. It certainly is. Well, I tell you what, I've got a story coming out of China. Oh, this story combines two topics we are very tired of talking about on the podcast, China and coronavirus. Uh, basically, the story is that uh, two cities in China have now found traces of COVID-19 on imported frozen food and on the packaging. And uh, local authorities made this announcement earlier today. And uh, it, basically all of this chicken, it's, so it's on frozen chicken is where this has been found. It's chicken that was shipped from Brazil. And so now the Brazilians are really starting to, they're trying to scramble and figure out, did it happen in the plant? Did it happen in transit? Nobody really knows, but uh, China is definitely looking at this very, very hard. And they are probably going to put some type of restriction on the plant that exported this meat. So the Brazilian Ag Ministry said earlier today, it is seeking clarification from Chinese authorities that these chicken wings did have coronavirus. And they said that even though China announced this publicly, the Chinese have not, as of our recording at about 1.30 on Thursday, the Chinese have not yet reached out to Brazil and the egg ministry in Brazil to tell them that they've had this problem. So they're, they're a little, I guess, frustrated. They ha so they haven't reached out and told them? Right. They made this public announcement and they didn't bother to like call Brazil and say, hey, just FYI, you, you know, you got COVID on your stuff. They, huh. they just, yeah, they haven't done anything. Um, so basically, it sounds as though the Brazilians are doubling down on the fact that when this, so Shenzhen was the city in China, one of the cities where it was found. And when this meat arrived in Shenzhen, you tested it, Chinese government, and it came up negative. So how are you now blaming us for it turning up positive? Where did this really come into play? Blah, blah, blah. It, you know, it sounds like it's going to be frustrations for some time. Yeah, I'd say. My goodness. Yeah. So what other uh, headlines are you keeping an eye on there, Ashton? Well, I had seen earlier today that Amazon is now the new owner of the Michigan State Fairgrounds in Detroit. The 142-acre site has been vacant for more than a decade since former Governor Jennifer Granholm cut funding for the fair in 2009, and the state fair has been relocated there, or has been located there, excuse me, since 1905 with three main buildings listed in the National Register of Historic 
places. And Amazon bought the property for $16 million and plans to build a $400 million, nearly 4 million square foot distribution center there on the grounds. And more than half the state will remain open for development, but officials say original buildings will likely be demolished. And Amazon said that they plan to open the site in 2022 with wages starting at $15 per hour if approved by the city. So a little bit of good news in terms of jobs for the city of Detroit, but a little bit sad, I guess, if you have some nostalgia for the Michigan State Fair. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sad Amazon can't figure out a way to repurpose those, uh, at least the historic buildings, and turn them into something, but who knows? Yeah. And so I I didn't know that this was happening with Michigan State Fair or that they had cut funding since 2009. So where do they have their state fair? Do they do they even have one now? That's a great question. Michiganders, if you are listening, fill us in. What's the story on the Michigan State Fair? Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Search for Ag News Daily and and let us know. Do Do you guys have a fair? What's the story? It might just be a small deal. Maybe they do a bunch of counties. Who knows? We're just flying blind and tell our Michigan listeners, hop onto social media and tell us what's up. Well, let's see. I think the only other story I had to report about today was looking again at crops. It appears we are still going to have a crop progress tour this year. They were, of course, debating whether or not to have that tour with people being in close contact and, of course, the COVID issue. But they decided to go ahead and continue doing the East and West Lake tours here. And I believe that starts within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's usually... Like during state fair time. It is, yes. And today would have been the first day of the Iowa State Fair. So, sad day. Got to be in the next 10 days, I would imagine. I think so. Well, I've got a story coming out of the meat processing world, pork specifically. Uh, We have been talking about companies releasing their quarterly earnings for the second quarter. That is ongoing. One of the companies that reported its earnings recently was Smithfield Foods. And Smithfield announced that they are reporting a loss for the second quarter. And they are saying that this loss was due to, or at least the thing that pushed it over the edge to become a loss, was $350 million that Smithfield has spent to protect their employees, the team members, and the American food supply during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So Smithfield, I thought this was kind of interesting. They talk about their year so far. Obviously, when you go through these quarterly reports, it's one of the things these companies reflect on is, okay, what are the big, uh, you know, points of inflection in the year? And unsurprisingly, it was COVID. Smithfield said the first half of 2020 was, quote, a tale of two tapes, pre-pandemic and pandemic. Prior to the onset of COVID in uh, the U.S., Smithfield was delivering record results for the first quarter of 2020. They were 190% higher than 2019. However, after the pandemic, they pushed operating results to 140% below year-ago levels to a $72 million loss. So COVID, uh, we're not out of the woods. Even if a vaccine is found tomorrow, there are going to be long-standing ramifications for meat packers, for ethanol plants, for a lot of the institutional buyers of ag products who have you know, suffered mightily, just like producers have 
you know, these companies have spent piles of cash and you know, who knows if they're going to be able to recoup it. So ugh, we're, we're not in the clear yet, I would say. No, I certainly wish we were, though. Look, I just want to quit talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, I guess hmm, the storm hasn't been my favorite thing, but at least it gives us something new to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And it certainly looks as though it's uh, perhaps a little fire under the grain markets. Uh, Ashton, do you have any other news or should we talk markets? No, let's hop in. All right, folks. Well, let's take a look. I mean, this has certainly been a strong week for the grain markets, especially considering the fact that we did have that USDA report yesterday, which reported record corn. In spite of all that, September corn was up 11 cents today at 325 and a half. December up 11 and three quarters to close at 339 even. In soybeans, September was up 15 and a quarter cents. Finished the day at 895 and three quarters. November up 16 and a quarter to close at 899 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, September contract up four and a half cents, carried for the most part by the corn market. Closed the day at 495 and three quarters. December up five and a quarter, finishing 505 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got live cattle, October contract up 57 and a half cents today at 110.15. The December up 27 and a half to close the day at 112.82.50. Feeder cattle lower on the day. September was down 57 and a half cents at 147.37.50. October down 62 and a half, closed at 148.47.50. And of course, we've got to take a look at the lean hog market. October hogs up 75 cents at 52.35. December up 95 to Close at 54.35. And of course, we've got to talk dairy market. Looking over at class three milk, August up 26 cents today, finishing at 1979. September up 30 cents, close today at 16.59. Without further ado, let's kick it over to today's conversation and continue the talk about hog. Today on the podcast, we have Samuel Lefebvre, and you're going to have to correct me, Samuel, if I get any of these pronunciations wrong, but he is with Gia Technologies in Canada, and he is their project manager. Samuel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm very glad to be with you guys. Thank you. So Samuel, just to kick things off, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about your role and what you do at Gia? Okay, so my role in uh, as a sales project manager is kind of to support uh, our sales rep and also uh, assure a good relationship with the customers all along the sales process. So from the, the first meetings to the after sales uh, process, I make sure that uh, everything is uh, going on course and that there's no... Uh, and uh, there's no things that go in between chairs, so and that we are, are staying on the right path. And I'm very glad to also to take a huge part on the after sale process because it's something that we think is very, very important here at uh, Giga. So um, that is interesting, Samuel. Can you tell us a little bit about what Giga does? What is it you're selling? Yeah, so uh, we've been in business for the last 26 years. Uh, we are the leader in automation of pig uh, feeding, uh, mostly concentrated on uh, sow nutrition. Uh, we sell the pro- uh, we manufacture and sell the products that are called Gestol, 
Uh, I know from, uh, for you guys in the U.S., uh, the most popular one is the Jessel 3G. That is for uh, group housed uh, sows. And, but our main uh, focus and main goal is to help producers uh, reach the full potential of the genetics of their sows by uh, assuring with a, a machine and implementing feeding strategies that only a machine can, uh, can do. Explain to us a little bit more than about this technology. How does that work? Yeah, so we have, uh, basically, we, the Jessel is uh, kind of a robot that, goes, uh, that is attached to the feed line and goes uh, every example in farrowing every crate as his own uh, gestal and we it's a on-demand system so the producers and the nutritionists will enter a feed curve in the machine and the machine will stimulate the sow every every now and then to make sure that she she wants to eat to uh, uh, improve the feed intake of the sow and we also, there's also a trigger that will uh, be triggered by the sow uh, when she wants a meal. So it's kind of a, a mix between an ad lib and a computerized feeding system or a, a, to maximize the, the, the feed intake of the sow because uh, the feed curve will uh, assure that the sow stays always full but will even push our limits with the trigger. So, and the trigger also helps avoiding wastage. So it's a very uh, robust product. Uh, we're proud also to say that we are pig producers ourselves. We got 2,200 sow, uh, sow farm uh, farrow to finish. And we develop products to, to be sure that we have a great satisfaction to our customers and we want to develop products that we would like to have in our farm ourselves. So can you go into a little more detail, Samuel? How does the trigger work? Is it a is it something the sow pushes and is rewarded, or is it is it fully automated? It just senses things? No, it's uh it's uh like a small pug that goes up and down on a, a pole that is uh so the sow has to activate it. And they get the they get the the how it works really really fast. It's like a it's like a showing things to a dog. Every time you give him a a, a small cookie afterwards, they get it faster. So the sow will play with the trigger and get her meal. So instantly she knows that that's what she has to do to to have her feed. Uh, so the the trigger goes down into the trough, and what is the nice part about the trigger is that it avoids wastage. So when the feed drops, if too much feed drops in the trough, the trigger will be blocked by the feed. So there won't be any wastage. And then after that, the system can tell uh, the producer to go check on that sow. Why is there so many feed left uneaten in the trough? Huh, that's very interesting. A very neat tool that you guys have out for the swine industry. I assume that you can get this tool in Canada and United States and maybe other countries as well, Samuel? Yes, we are in, uh, we're uh, very proud to be in uh, around 40 countries around the world. 
we have our home offices in Canada, but we have an office in Kansas and also in Vector, Germany. I, I want to take things to your Gestal Swine Summit for a little while because that's actually how I got in contact with you guys. And so can you just tell me a little bit more about the summit, what you'll be discussing, how it's set up, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we had a, an idea a while back to, uh, we just moved from our previous factory to a brand new one, and we wanted to make this whole uh, big open house uh, party with uh, conferences and speakers and a lot of stuff that, that was very interesting. And like a lot of people, we got our plans uh, canceled with COVID. So uh, we had to find a new way to kind of showcase uh some important things about the company and some things that we think that are very important for producers to know. Uh, so, and knowledge has always been a very important uh, thing for us. Uh, when we build a team, we're looking for uh, people that are, uh, have already experience in uh, pig farms or have studied in uh, the swine industry. Like uh, we got a, a lot of nutritionists from uh, K-State working with us. Uh, We've got people that worked in the genetic uh, business before, so we're looking to have people that are very that uh, that have very a lot of knowledge, and that's where we had the idea to kind of uh, educate or make people help people learn some new things. So that's where we had the idea of uh, the Swine Summit, that is basically uh, a four-week uh, format where we every Wednesday we have uh, a webinar that will be uh, and every week has its own uh, themes. So the first week is about guild development. Second week is about labor management. Third week is about precision feeding. And the last, the fourth week is research farms. So, and every week are kind of built the same way. Uh, we are... Uh, giving a lot of uh, information on our different uh, social medias, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're trying to publish. We'll, we're going to have some very interesting blogs that were written by our team. But the main course is really the, the webinar, the live webinar on Wednesdays. Well, that's going to be a really neat event. And I noticed on your website, it is 100% online, 100% free, four weeks, as you mentioned there. Samuel, before we let you go, tell us the dates for that event, as well as how folks can get registered for this event. So September 9th, Wednesday, September 9th, then September 16th, 23rd, and 30th. So the the old September uh, month is the just old month. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Samuel, thank you so much for joining us again today. We certainly appreciate it. And we will watch for that event that's coming out in September have to be a part of that. Thank you. No problem. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. When using a small engine under load for any length of time on a portable generator, employ an infrared thermometer to monitor the temperatures of the oil, cylinder head, and the generator unit. 
the surface temperature of the oil sump will be close to the oil's temperature. Since these engines are air-cooled, point the gun at the cylinder head to determine if it is overheated. The same holds true for the generator. It is always a good practice to have familiarity with operating temperatures to not only predict the potential issue, but to provide confidence that the generator will keep the lights on. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Again, a big thank you to Samuel for taking the time out of his day to come and talk to us. And I'm very excited to have my first interview, international interview. So it was very exciting stuff this Thursday. Oh, first international interview. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Exciting stuff is always happening here on the Ag News Daily podcast. And you can follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily, as well as listen to other podcast episodes on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.